Stevenson is a lawyer and he's one of today's living heroes. He's also been one of the UUA Ware Lecture awardees. In his book, Just Mercy, he describes the work he does in his legal practice. His legal practice is dedicated to the release of wrongfully condemned and in defending children and young teenagers who have been sentenced as adults. Brian Stevenson walks into trouble every day when he goes into the prisons and he learns the stories of the incarcerated boys and the men that he finds there. He has learned that the prison system has developed in the South as a way to extend the system of slavery and it is rife with injustice. In his book and the recent movie that I'm sure a number of you, I hope a number of you have seen, they give haunting examples of men and women he has spent time with. And he calls for each of us to work to end the injustices of our system. In order to do this, he argues that the first thing we must do is to get proximate to those who are suffering or oppressed. And then along with getting proximate, we need to learn to rewrite the narrative, never give up hope, and have to be willing to be uncomfortable. All four of these things happen together, but separately. So I want to talk some about this idea of getting proximate, because I think it's the same thing that Sister Campbell talks about when she says that we have to walk into trouble. This is something we see in so many of our religious leaders, our saints and our heroes. This, this weekend, we're taking time to honor the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr who became the face and the voice of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Reverend King walked toward trouble. One of his most famous writings is his letter from the Birmingham jail. And this letter was written as a response. He received a letter from a number of the white clergy in the South telling him to stay out of the South that he was stirring up trouble and that he was not welcome there. And he writes back in his letter to say that Birmingham had the highest number of unresolved bombings of black businesses and churches in the country. He was going there because there already was trouble there. Reverend King went to the towns where people were not getting fair wages, where people were not allowed to vote, and where they were killed if they protested. He did not stay away from Mississippi or Alabama or Tennessee. He moved toward them. He got proximate and up close to the people who were suffering. Siddhartha, who became the Buddha, grew up as a sheltered and pampered prince who never saw human suffering. Then one day at the age of 29, he was outside his protected walls and came across someone who was ill and then he saw an old person, and then he saw someone who had died. The story goes that he left his home the next day to seek enlightenment, distinguishing physical suffering from our souls. Most of the stories, to me, seem to skip ahead here, and they don't really examine what happened, but my guess is that Siddhartha left because he realized he could not stay isolated and aloof from the suffering of the world, in order to be a good prince, he had to understand the troubles people faced. He needed to get proximate to them, 
And ultimately, he developed a way to address the suffering of the world. And Jesus' story is similar. The reason Jesus was influential and so radical in his time was because he shared his meals with thieves and murderers. He hung out with people with diseases and with prostitutes. And he spoke with social outcasts like the Samaritans. Jesus was not seen as a holy man in his culture. He was viewed as a rebel who walked into trouble. When Sister Campbell talks about moving into trouble, she means that the hard work of fighting for justice is moving into the places where people are suffering and living hard lives. It's being in those places where people are living under highway bridges or in their parked cars. <clears throat> it's going into the spaces where people are spending their lives in prison cells. It's moving into the trouble at our borders where those who are fleeing for their lives are left stranded in refugee camps. So why are we told we need to do this? I mean, why should we get proximate to people who are struggling? Why does this seem to be such a religious theme? It's because it changes us. Once we get closer to people who are suffering, we are no longer dealing with abstract ideas, but with real people. We are now in relationship, and our understanding moves out of our heads and into our hearts. Last year, the day before Christmas, I met Marta. Marta was an 84-year-old woman who had left Guatemala with her three grandsons, traveling for weeks as they headed north. She spoke no English and no Spanish, only a Mayan dialect that none of us in the refugee shelter could even understand. Sometime during the journey, she was separated from her family. And by the time she came to us, she was alone. She had no food. She had no money. She had nothing. And she was freezing cold. And, and outside of the shelter, we have a, a, a clothing area where everyone can go and change their clothes. And, Every time I saw Marta, she had another layer of clothes on until she was really very, very puffy and could hardly move. After many hours, we were able to locate a niece in Washington, D.C., who paid for Marta's Greyhound bus ticket across the country to get her to the niece's home. But in order to get there, there were six bus transfers that this frail woman had to make and she could not read or speak the language. She was scared. She had no idea if she was safe with us, and we literally did not have the words to comfort her. Knowing Marta, being with her for those two days changed me. Not intellectually, but something in me felt broken open, and I experienced a very vulnerable compassion. So I have to tell you the end of that story, even though it doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. <laughs> what we did is we made six paper bracelets, and we put them on Marta's arm. And each bracelet had the name of the town and the number of the next bus she would have to transfer onto. And then we demonstrated to her, like showing the bracelet to the bus driver, and hopefully the bus driver would get her onto the next bus. So it was with some trepidation, we took her to the depot early on Christmas morning and got her in line for the bus. 
when suddenly we heard some screaming and yelling from the other side of the terminal, and it was Marta's grandsons who just by coincidence someone had found and brought to the station at the same time. Getting proximate to people living in troubled places makes me more aware of my social location. There's a degree of inequity when I do volunteer work, such as taking food to people who are hungry. I come from my place of abundance, giving a small portion of my time and resources. And don't get me wrong, it's not that I should not do that. We are all compelled to do this. But I also have to be aware of the inequity implicit in this. Getting in proximity helps us to recognize the dynamic a bit more and moves us closer to feeling some of the inequities of our world. In Cuernavaca, Mexico, I was sitting by the one-room cardboard shack of a family of four who was squatting on some public land just a few feet from the railroad tracks. Welcoming me into their home, they offered me some tea. They used some sticks and just some scraps that they gathered around to light a fire to boil the water, and we sat on rocks around this makeshift stove. As we talked, the mother turned to me, and she asked what my home was like. Did I have more than one room? How did I cook my food? I honestly did not know what to say to her. At the time, Clark and I were living in a small apartment with very little space, yet we did have a kitchen and a bathroom and a bedroom that was separate. How could I compare my sense of inadequate living with where she was? I finally decided I would just tell her we had an oven and that I used gas for cooking. And she became very concerned for me. She was worried about how I would be able to pay for gas every month. This changed me. It was disquieting to describe the comfort of my home, the apartment I complained about that was starkly better than her cardboard room. And this discomfort broke me open. And as I had to sit in that camp, I was aware of all that separated us. Proximity makes us uncomfortable. This can be a physical discomfort as we sit on rocks around a campfire or go behind prison doors. And there's an emotional discomfort as we put ourselves in uncertain places. It challenges us out of our intellectual knowledge and security. When I was visiting inmates in the San Quentin prison, there were often times after the program just to hang around and joke, joke around with the guys there. And during one of these times, one of the inmates, Mike, told me how much he had changed from his time and experience in prison. He talked about his spiritual journey, saying he had entered prison as a 17-year-old punk. And now, 28 years later, he had learned an internal integrity and had come to find peace within himself. I didn't want to hear that. I tried to argue with him about the injustice of mass incarceration, the unfair sentencing, and the social costs of removing people from their families. I had my educated enlightenment about prison. But Mike countered my narrative by his spiritual journey, and he told me he would have been dead long ago 
but incarceration saved him from the street and from himself. Mike changed me. Getting to know Mike, developing a relationship with him made me consider things I was reluctant to even give credence to. I was pushed out of my intellectual righteousness and into a humble place where I was being challenged by him. The work of social justice requires us to be in relationship with others, to be part of the change. We move toward trouble, we move toward people, we move toward the trouble world. That leads us to a place where we change the narratives that we are told about the homeless, the migrant, the mentally ill, or the inmates, because we come out of our heads and into our hearts. We become allies or co-conspirators, learning that instead of working for a cause or doing something for people, we are to work with them. It was Lila Watson, the Australian Aboriginal activist, who said, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. This isn't just about saving others. It's about saving ourselves. We move into relationship with others so we can be on more equal ground, willing to be changed, willing to have our hearts broken open, willing to learn and learning how to build the beloved community we talk about. This is what Brian Stevenson is talking about. This is what Sister Campbell is talking about. It's the willingness to walk into trouble, to get proximate with the problems of the world so we can be truly part of the work of healing the world. Let us pray. Spirit of life, move in my heart so I can move in the world in a way that is vulnerable, compassionate, connected, and moves me toward loving the world and all who are here beyond belief. Blessed be. The closing words today come from Brian Stevenson. I do what I do because I am broken too. And the truth is, if you get proximate, if you change narratives, if you are required to stay hopeful, if you do uncomfortable things, it will break you too. But I also realized that there is power in brokenness. It is the broken among us who can teach us the way compassion works. It is the broken who understand the power of mercy. It is the broken that yearn for redemption. It is the broken who yearn for reconciliation. It is the broken who need to teach us how we love despite our brokenness. And it is in brokenness that I realized I am not just fighting for the condemned. I am fighting for myself. We extinguish this chalice, but not the light of truth, the warmth of love, the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again.
please rise and body your spirit to sing hymn 155, Circle Round for Freedom. Feel free to hold hands, touch shoulders, whatever you need to do to connect. Circle round for freedom, circle round for peace. Let all of us imprisoned circle for release. Circle for the planet, circle for each soul, for the children of Keep the circle whole. Circle round for freedom. Circle round for peace. For all of us imprisoned. Circle for release. Circle for the planet. Circle for each soul, for the children of our children, keep the circle whole. For the children of our children, keep the circle